This is episode 25 with strength and conditioning coach, collegiate baseball player, contributor to many health publications like T Nation and Women's Health, and owner of the gym Core in Brookline, Massachusetts, Mr. Tony Gentlecore. Hey all, it's Jason and thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Strength Running Podcast. We have strength coach Tony Gentlecore with us today and we're talking about lifting weights. I love it. Why runners need to be strength training, the pitfalls and mistakes that beginners make in the weight room, special considerations for female athletes, and the little things that will make your strength work much more effective. I think you're going to love this one, not just because Tony shares a wealth of information, but he makes it accessible. He has a great sense of humor, and he makes hard work seem like a lot of fun. Tony is a former collegiate baseball player who graduated magna cum laude from SUNY Cortland with a degree in health education and a concentration in health and wellness promotion. He worked as a personal trainer for several years in New York, Connecticut, and Massachusetts before opening a sports performance gym with two other trainers that has arguably grown into the foremost baseball training facility on the East Coast. His work has appeared in T Nation, the Boston Herald, Men's Health, Bodybuilding.com, Women's Health, and many others. Now, as you probably know at this point, I believe strength training is critical for runners. It's not cross-training. It's simply part of your training as a runner. It's not a nice-to-do. It's a must-do. And with Tony laying the foundation today, you're going to learn what to focus on in the gym so that you can race faster, run more economically, and get far fewer injuries. Please enjoy my conversation with Mr. Tony Gentlecore. Tony, I am pumped to speak with you today. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Well, thank you, Jason. I appreciate it. It's not its not often I get to talk about uh, strength training with endurance athletes, so I, I look forward to it. Yeah, we're going to try to bridge the divide here. Now, huh? um, you're, you're in Brookline, uh, right outside of Boston. Did you grow up in Massachusetts? No, I, I'm not a mass hole. Um, although I, I've lived here long enough where I, I, I'm, I think I just passed the decade mark, so maybe I am. Um, but I'm, I'm originally from central New York, a very small town uh, called Groton, uh, which is right in between Cortland and Ithaca. Um, and if people are still scratching their heads, that is about 45 minutes south of Syracuse. So Finger Lakes region. So we're not going to hear any dropped R's in this podcast episode, are we? No, 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 absolutely not. Like I don't, I, uh, I felt like I've, I've staved off the, the Boston accent uh, as, as well as I can. So I no dropped R's. <laughs> yeah, and I've pretty much beaten it out of me. You'll have to give me a couple beers to, uh, to get the, those R's down. <laughs> now, Tony, you're one of the first strength coaches that I've had on the podcast here. So this will definitely be a conversation more geared to strength training than most of the others that I've previous done. So I think we should probably start with some basics. Okay. Um, first, do you recommend strength training for runners? Let's start really, really broad. Like what are the benefits? What, why should runners be strength training? Well, number one, yes, I do. I think it, I actually think it's very imperative for runners because, like any other athlete, they are athletes, and if they're looking to improve their times and improve their running efficiency, uh, decrease their rate of injury, uh, that's where I feel strength training comes in. And, you know, I, there's a, um, you know, when I when I was at Cresty Sports Performance. 
I worked with a lot of baseball players, and that is another demographic that is kind of a little bit behind the times. I mean, it's better now since we've gotten into the mix, but 10 years ago, uh, you, you say strength training to most baseball players and most baseball coaches. They're like, no, no, I'm going to make it's going to, it's going to hurt my performance. And, and I feel that is very much the same mentality in the endurance community, which again, I think is getting better. Um, but it's still one of those things where people feel like the best way they're going to get better at running is running, which there is validity to that with rowing and swimming and all and, and biking. But, um, yeah, I just think the main benefit, which a lot of, endurance athletes miss out on is their improvement in running efficiency the stronger they are because when you think about it it's about putting force into the ground to propel yourself forward um, and even if you are an endurance athlete the objective is to do it in a at least amount of time possible so it's not necessarily who go the longest but who can finish the race first so um, that is absolutely where where strength training is going to come in and not to mention the injury prevention standpoint like I think uh, that's another area where there's a common thread with endurance athletes and, I, and Mike Boyle has talked about this a lot where he, he's he's had discussions on training endurance athletes and there's this this vicious circle of train get injured go to pt repeat um and the strength training is kind of that missing link and with a lot of runners and endurance athletes so you know yeah i'm happy to to say that i i i'm um i feel like i'm one of the strength coaches especially being in a very endurance centric community here in boston um i've worked with a fair number of of endurance athletes in particular people prepping for the marathon and you know more often than not just you know as, as little as two days a week of dedicated strength training they, they see a vast improvement in their times and so that's a win-win yeah absolutely uh first of all i'm so glad you actually said that strength training was important for runners we've had a really tough podcast if you said it, it was not so <laughs> yeah you really saw it right <laughs> yeah that's really great but it sounds like i mean we're looking at performance improvements efficiency improvements, which yep. I think for runners, you know, this really means better running economy. You can run yep. the same effort while, um, you know, using less fuel while, yep. um, using less energy. And then of course there's injury prevention and you're absolutely right that I think, you know, when I started running back in 1998, which makes me sound kind of old, but, Ooh. um, you know, we didn't strength train. Strength training really wasn't part of our training. Now, granted, that was at the high school level, and then things picked up a little bit at the college level when I was competing at Connecticut College, but it still wasn't a, a, a significant piece of our training. And I think only in the last maybe uh, five to 10 years has strength training really been given its due in the endurance mm -hmm. community for those very reasons. I mean, what runner doesn't want to run more economically, run faster and get fewer injuries? I think that's huge. Um, yeah. what are some of the, what are some of the barriers that you see among maybe endurance athletes or, or even other athletes? Cause you mentioned the baseball community as well that prevent these athletes from getting in the weight room and doing some more substantial lifting. I, I, you know, I think uh, with regards to baseball is, is, is very much a um, old boys club or um, and I don't know if that's the same way the endurance community. But like with baseball, I remember when I when I played in college, you know, a lot of my pitching coaches, you know, what the pitchers did during practice was go run poles. 
you know, so the rest of the team would do batting practice, fielding practice, and the pitchers after warming up and maybe playing a little bit of long toss or maybe throwing a bullpen. It's like, okay, you guys got nothing else to do, so why don't you go run poles? Um, you know, and which when you think about it has no relevance to throwing a baseball because <laughs> it takes point some odd milliseconds to throw a baseball. So what is what is running going to do to help that zero? So I just think a lot of it's just that, oh, well, we'll, well we've always done that, so why not do it now? Um, and I, I have to think that that's the same kind of mentality that that runs through and permeates in the in the endurance community as well where you know you get a lot of these old school coaches where back in the day that's what they did that's what they were told to do so it just it just kind of progresses in that fashion um and i just think it's 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 you're right in the in the past five or 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 ten or so years where more coaches like myself and especially yourself because you're in it like you are actually you actually are an endurance athlete and you work with a lot of endurance athletes. Um, there's more people and coaches like you who are kind of like, um, nipping that, that, uh, myth in the bud. And I think it's fantastic, you know? So, and I, maybe my wife could speak to more of the psychology of why it still is kind of a thing, that mentality. But I just think it's just one of those things where, you know, because we've always done it, we're still going to do it that way. And, um, you know, but thankfully, it's I I feel it definitely is getting a little bit better. Yeah, I think that's a dangerous mentality to have, you know, as a coach, but really almost anything in life just to say, well, this is the way we've always done it. You know, you kind yeah, of and- step back from that and think, well, is there a better way? You know, what is what does the current research say? And, you know, I think if, you know, we're looking at a form of cross training for runners that does have those significant benefits, then you know, you would be not giving yourself uh, that advantage if you were to skip strength training. And I think one of the, one of the reasons why a lot of athletes uh, become successful is because they start focusing on uh, doing more of those little things, you know, in which, you know, really, look, we're both coaches, Tony. And I think every coach knows that the little things aren't really that little, you know, for runners, that's, you know, strength training, using your foam roller, doing a dynamic flexibility warm up before you go mm-hmm. running, making mm-hmm. sure you do uh, form drills and strides, you know, so, you know, all those little things really add up. And I think if you're only doing your sports specific type of training, you're not training as an athlete, you're training as a an extreme specialist. And while that certainly has to make up the bulk of your training, you know, you have to focus on the other elements of uh, athleticism. Of course, I think any any well-rounded athlete or any athlete that is has reached a, a pinnacle in their sport or is considered more of an advanced or an elite level um, understands that and they've they've adopted that approach. You know, it, it's like sometimes I feel like you know banging my ha- my my head against the wall because it's like you know because I have like like I said I've worked with various endurance athletes in the past and. It's just like you you continue getting hurt. Your times haven't gotten better. And the second we start talking about strength training, it's like, no, 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 I don't want to do that. And I'm just like, why? <laughs> like, um, And the research, you know, strength and conditioning is a relatively young field. You know, you know there's a lot of research to back up uh, VO2 max, aerobic capacity, you know, in the endurance side of it. But the strength and conditioning side of things is still relatively young as far as the, you know, where the research is. But, um, you know, time and time and time again, uh, anecdotally and in the more current research, you see the benefits. And, 
we're not talking about a ton. It's not like, you know, I think another thing that kind of stagnates the a lot of uh, endurance athletes adopting strength training is that they feel it's all the myths and fallacies involved with it. Like they're going to get big and bulky. It's going to slow them down. And that's why it's imperative to find a, a competent coach who knows to cater your program to the specific demands of the sport, but also your weaknesses, your imbalances, your imbalances, and, and also what, what's going to help you do better in your uh, um, category of, of, of endurance length, you know, whether you're a marathoner or a 5K runner or a biker or a triathlete, um, you know, all that stuff has to be taken into consideration. So, um, and more and more people are doing a better job of doing that nowadays. So, you know, we live in a good time. It's getting better, but we, certainly we can improve. It's getting a lot better. Absolutely. And, and I think a helpful way for runners to think about strength training is that, you know, strength training makes you stronger. It gives you a higher capacity for work. And yep. for a runner, what does that mean? That means, well, you're going to be able to run more, more mileage overall, a higher volume, but you're also going to be able to do more intense, you know, have a higher capacity for intensity or faster workouts. You know, if you're only able to run say two or three miles worth of faster repetitions in a given workout, well, you're going to be better if you're able to now run four miles of faster repetitions. So it's yeah. a helpful way just to kind of keep in mind that strength training allows you to do more running, which clearly is going to make you a better runner. Um, yeah, I do and, wanna... Jason, and Jason, I got uh, something to add to that. I want, I, I'd be curious to see if you agree with it. Um, I think too uh, an advantage of adding in strength training because you know you 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 said like oh it's going to allow you to run more and, and et cetera but I I you could make the case and the argument that adding in the strength training would will allow you to to run less and that you don't you won't it doesn't require as much mileage to get the same to get the job done if if you understand what I'm saying so I know in the past when we've worked with uh, triathletes and endurance athletes a lot of those middle middle mileage runs sometimes you replace that with strength training there's less wear and tear on the body i mean they're still getting their their longer length ones and their shorter spurts in but a lot of that middle mileage that just kind of kind of be kind of oftentimes is extra fluff um is taken away and again they see vast improvements in their time um so i'd be curious i mean maybe hopefully i'm not too off base in saying that but that that's kind of been my um my experience with 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 a, why strength training again is is very beneficial for endurance athletes. Yeah, I think it it does depend on the athlete a little bit. Sure, you know, there sure. are certainly athletes who are very injury prone that if they want to continue competing, then you know cutting back some of those you know maybe recovery runs or base runs and instead getting into the gym to do you know a significant lifting workout is probably better for them in the long yes. term at least yep. until they build up their injury resilience because there is no getting around the fact that running more in general is probably one of the best ways to increase your endurance and get faster yep. uh, especially since most runners aren't running as much as they probably should you know the, you know when i work with recreational runners um you know age groupers people like that you know one of the universal principles i would say is that people aren't running enough you know 20 30 40 miles a week um you know it's great but if we can just get you to run 10 20 30 percent more you know of course strategically gradually over a long period of time so that we're not increasing your risk of injury uh, unnecessarily, then 
you're going to become a better runner. But I think mm-hmm. absolutely, you're absolutely right. That strength training can help bridge that gap between those two runners, uh, between those two types of runners, you know, the injury prone runner, uh, and the runner who already has the ability to, you know, run, you know, say 60 miles a week without any injury problems. Um, yeah. I, I do want to get back to the little yeah. things, uh, a little bit later, but yeah, let's, yeah. uh, let's, let's touch base on the actual lifting that runners are doing. Um, you know, of course, certain athletes need to be lifting uh, slightly different ways, but I'm sure there's a lot of really great universal principles. So I guess my question is, should runners be lifting differently than other athletes? And if so, like, what are some of those considerations? I I think so. Yes. I think when it comes to basic movement patterns, I would say no. Um, I, I, I keep things pretty simple with, with how I program and how I describe my approach to athletes. And a lot of it, I mean, is stemmed from stuff I've read from Dan John, Mike Boyle, a lot of the old, old, old school guys where you can, when you think about it, break movements into squat, hip hinge, push, pull, carry, lunge, core. So I think, you know, the human body is the human body. You know, and then certain sports require a little bit more of one movement than others, and you have to take that in consideration. But um, you know, I think runners are athletes, and we need to train all the movements appropriately to get them stronger and to make a well-rounded athlete. I think where it becomes different is they do not need to crush a ton of volume. If anything, it's more lower volume, higher intensity work, and really learning to condense training stress so that their training is more in these these um uh with more squeezable um or condensed portions of their week so rather than you know i honestly i'd rather have uh an endurance athlete do a a short 30 minute strength session after uh, a run than to take a dedicated off day and go strength train i'd rather them have that off day does that make sense so, yeah, it does. Um, um, you know, so, this kind of lends itself to the idea of making your easy days really easy, but also making your hard days pretty hard. Yeah, you, know, you want to yeah, make sure that yeah. you're recovering properly, but then also forcing your body to uh, get fitter. Yeah. So, you know, and, and of course, like with any athlete, when I work with an endurance runner or endurance athlete, it is uh, I'm doing an assessment. So, you know, I don't follow any one like standard protocol, like, you know, I kind of do a bastardized like FMS and a little bit of PRI and a little bit of, you know, assessing correct and just kind of like figure out like, okay, where, where, where are their movement deficits and, you know, where, you know, looking at current and past injury history and what can I do uh, from a strength and conditioning standpoint to make their body more resilient to, you know, yes, keep them from getting injured and going to the physical therapist and not being uh, able to compete. Cause I mean, that, that's really at the end of the day, I, I want I want my athletes to be able to compete. You know, it doesn't make sense to do all this training only to like get hurt at the very end and, and not be able to do it. So, um, and I just think a lot of it, like we have to be, uh, realistic with the amount of volume of they're doing of their sport um, biking, swimming, running, but and then understanding that in the weight room, most of the time, uh, endurance athletes do not need a ton of volume. They just need just enough of that training stimulus to elicit the result that we want. Um, you know, and then like, and then I, so I found that lower reps, moderate reps, just to maintain that strength, that base level of strength is really all that we're after. And, and a lot of times we're looking at 
two, maybe three times a week of strength training, depending on in-season, off-season type of stuff. But um, but I, I found that the bulk of the endurance athletes that I've worked with in the past, it's, it's just really like short, simple, quick workouts, like 30, 45 minutes, maybe 60, depending on their, their week. Um, but it's, it's really basic stuff. Like, like I said, the, the patterns themselves and the exercises themselves that I use are really no different than if I'm working with a football player, a baseball player, a basketball player. Um, they're all going to deadlift. They're all going to squat. They're all going to do some form of rowing and pushing. It's just I use the assessment and then obviously their experience and, and their, their current past injury history to figure out what variation of those, of those exercises that we're starting with. So – you yeah, know, some athletes, yeah I, go ahead. I think you're I think you're right on point there with the idea that runners don't need in in uh, a huge amount of strength training. I mean, we have to re- no, recognize that running is clearly our, our primary sport and any other type of work we're doing is uh, should be supplemental and complementary to yeah. our running training. And so, yeah, 30, 45 minutes in the gym is probably all you need. Uh, and I, I think you're totally on the mark too with the idea that runners shouldn't be doing, you know, these really long endurance oriented lifting workouts, you know, runners get enough endurance work when they're out there running, you know, when we get in the weight room, we should be working on getting stronger and building power. And those are things that we don't necessarily work on that much as runners, but those are the complementary fitness skills that are going to really help our running performance. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's like one of those things that I, I, you may or may not be familiar with him, but Alex Viata, um, you know, he he makes a very good point of saying because he's a guy that's super strong, like elite level power lifter. You know, if if you gave him four weeks to diet, he could he could hop on a bodybuilding stage and do very well. But he also competes in ultra marathons and triathlons, um, and so he's a very well rounded guy, and, and, and he he helps people train. He calls it a, a hybrid approach to training, so strength and endurance at the same time, and. Um, you know, he just says it's very, very, very important to not have those two things uh, um, c- compete with each other. So, um, you know, a lot of uh, at non-endurance athletes, so baseball players, football players, basketball players, they're very high intensity with their sport, uh, short burst of energy, power, go all out. And they try to do the same thing with their training and it competes with each other and they often end up breaking down. So with endurance athletes, the same thing. If if you're an endurance athlete and you're out there running 60, 70, 80, 90 miles a week and swimming and biking, et cetera, and then you go into the weight room and you do these long, arduous uh, strength training sessions, those are that's going to compete and you're going you're to break down. So, um, so yeah, I think uh, – I think we're both in agreement that you know it's just a matter of short bursts, working on power, working on strength, and and really once you get to that point, it doesn't take a lot of volume to maintain strength and power. You just got to train them frequently enough to so the body just kind of remembers it. So um, that that and that bodes in strength training's favor too. Is that it's very easy to maintain uh, base levels of strength um, just by taught peppering it in there every so often so the body just kind of remembers yeah it's so similar to running too i mean your aerobic base your endurance uh it takes a while to go away i mean yeah. i'm i'm a little bit past my prime as as a runner you know i'm i'm not 22 years old anymore on a team you know doing these grueling workouts but you know i can still go out there and perform decently in mm-hmm. on a track workout and that's because i have 
you know, 18 years of, of running relatively higher mileage behind me, you know, so that, that just doesn't go away. And it takes, it takes a long time for that to really start to erode significantly. And yeah, it sounds like the same is true. You'd have to go out of your way to omit that altogether. Like you would literally have to like not train for six months if maybe a little less than that, but just not do anything. And then, then you probably start to see vast decreases in your performance. But, you know, you probably, you know, like you said, you might get out there once a week, once every two weeks, just to kind of move around a little bit and you, you can maintain Yeah, you, I don't, no doubt. So you maintain that, that, that fairly high level of, of endurance capacity. Absolutely. Let's, uh, let's switch gears a little bit. I would love to know how you think about strength training for the person who, either doesn't have or isn't willing to get a gym membership or, you know, stock yeah. a home gym with a ton of expensive equipment. What are some of the, you know, classic best foundational exercises or even just principles to remember that runners can focus on without a gym membership? Yeah, I think I, I always, even when I come across that, I still try to nudge them into eventually understanding that there, there is going to be a, a peak uh, or a threshold that you're going to hit with just doing body weight and bands and stuff like that. So, but that's not to say that you cannot you you could still get a very beneficial, great workout with with minimal equipment. You know, um, I think you know I'm a big fan. Like honestly, like if you if if someone had a few kettlebells, there's a ton of stuff you can do with kettlebells. You know, as far as working that 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 kettlebell swing and hip snap and explosiveness, not to mention all the other movements you can do with it, like get ups and presses and rows and goblet squats. Um, so I think uh, kettlebells, dumbbells are fine, um, you know. And I know like there's 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 a bunch of programs that are body weight only, but let's be realistic. I mean, the, your body training body weight only um, is only going to take you so far. And if we were going to follow the the concept of progressive overload, which we need to build strength, um, unless you're gaining weight, uh, that's again you're you're going to hit a threshold of where you're going to get a, a rate of diminishing return. So. Um, you know, so again, this isn't to deter people from saying, "Oh, you have to go get a gym membership." Because I'm not saying that, but um, but certainly, you know, if I had to look at a, a base level of, of movement patterns that I'd like to see trained, um, squat, hip hinge, push, row, lunge, carry. Um, you know, if if you can get those in, which you could easily do with kettlebells, dumbbells, and some bands. I mean, you don't need a ton of equipment, um, but that would be like my my base level of. Of, of stuff that I'm looking for people to to hopefully you know put into their own programs if they if they're not a part of a gym. Now you mentioned hip hinge. Can you explain yeah. that to people who uh, who deadlift. including yeah, deadlift. me who aren't entirely <laughs> clear on that? So a hip hinge is not a squat, and a squat is not a hip hinge. So um, if we had to break down like exactly what with the differentiation between the two, think of a squat as maximal knee flexion and maximal hip flexion so you're, you're squatting down and a hip hinge is going to be minimal knee flexion um and minimal uh hip flexion so um and then you can also think of the the hip hinge is more of like an anterior or posterior front to front to back motion as opposed to up and down um so th when i say hip hinge i'm really just alluding to a deadlift um so th those 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 terms are interchangeable uh, okay that's good to know okay um, so Hopefully that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. No, I think it's it's good just to understand our terms, especially when it comes to you know lifting uh, and and these kinds of of movements. And I'm glad you said movements and not you know really specific exercise. I've yeah, I always remember the, the phrase train movements, not muscles, and exactly. that seems very exactly appropriate. 
that's exactly what I'm alluding to because like you know the deadlift for example is often like it's it's people are scared of a deadlift like I can't tell you how many times I've seen people oh well deadlifts are dangerous they're gonna ruin your spine and um, and yeah, when anything, when they, when they are done incorrectly, yes, you can definitely hurt yourself just with, with any other exercise, but people forget that the deadlift is a hip hinge and the hip hinge is we're learning to dissociate hip movement from lumbar movement. Like I don't want movement coming from the lumbar spine, especially when it's loaded, um, when we're doing a, a deadlift, uh, variation. So, um, so a, a hip hinge could just be easily, it could be a kettlebell deadlift. It could be a, a cable pull through. It could be it's just learning how to do it with body weight only, locking, locking your ribs down, turning your abs on and only getting motion from your hips and not your lower back. Um, so there, there are a lot of regressions and progressions with a hip hinge and, um, you know, that, and that's the job of the coach to kind of hone in on where, where that person is as far as their experience level and where, where, um, if or not, they have any wonky movement, for lack of a better term. But um, so when I say deadlift, but you, we can't automatically assume that I'm saying straight bar loaded with 300 pounds and we're going to deadlift because that, that's not what I'm alluding to. Yeah, there's a lot of different ways to dead, deadlift, yes, and I think absolutely. I think when people hear the word deadlift, they think of you know a power lifter exactly. deadlifting yep. 500 pounds. When no, it doesn't need to be that uh, intense. Yes, that's why I like to say hip hinge because sometimes people are like, okay, hip hinge. Like, um, if I say deadlift, they, people just automatically gravitate to you know big beefy power lifter guy, and that's that's not what we're necessarily after. Yeah, absolutely. Now I'm sure a lot of people listening to this uh, might be brand new to the weight room. They've mm-hmm. never lifted before. They've never really um, you know been around free weights. What are some of the common mistakes that you see in the weight room that are easily avoidable? Um, I think it's just law of consistency. I think if anything, people, uh, my biggest pet peeve in the industry as a whole is people program hopping and not like sticking to like and this whole idea of, uh, exercise variety like that, that gives me the biggest eye roll <laughs> when I talk, when I hear people talking about, Oh, you gotta, you gotta change it up every so often. So the body doesn't get used to it and muscle confusion. Um, it's so it's such BS. And, <laughs> I'm so um, glad you're speaking my language now, Tony. And 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 I'm trying really hard not to swear too, Jason. Just so you know, <laughs> um, you're getting fired up. I get it. But uh, you know, I think the biggest mistake it's not it's not uh, it's not variety or lack of variety that's that's people's biggest uh, mistake. It's just it's lack of of mastery. So I think if people just were consistent with the basics, which I talked about earlier. Um, that they would definitely see progress and they would definitely see results. And it doesn't like, honestly, the best programs are usually the most boring programs. Um, you know, just cause they're not over people's heads. They're not like these crazy, uh, periodization schemes where we're, we're fluctuating sets and reps, every workout and this and that, like that's, that's confusing for some people. So, um, you know, I think if we just kept things simple, um, you know, and people stuck with the basics and actually got good, with the basics and they actually learn how to do stuff correctly, um, then lo and behold, good things start to happen. So, um, that, that to me is the, the biggest mistake a lot of people make is they, they, they think they're above, uh, starting with the, with the basics and, and they're not like, I think we, everyone has to start somewhere and, um, you know, people, th- I don't know how it is with a lot of the, you know, in the running community, but you know, people tend to think they're more advanced than they really are. <laughs> 
and um and i have to assume that that permeates over to uh your your neck of the woods too so um it, it's a it's a universal theme that i think um endurance athletes could gravitate towards as well yeah and i'm fist pumping over here because two things you said are just resonate with me so so well number one uh, every year on the strength running blog, I like to give it give the year a theme, um, uh-huh. and 2017 is the year of fundamentals, and yes. I'm trying to get people to get back to the fundamentals because the fundamentals are the building blocks. They are the foundation. They are what everything else is built upon. And if you don't master the fundamentals first, then well, you're just kind of destined to not really progress very well. Yep. And then the I other thing you said was consistency and i've i've long said that consistency is the secret sauce of successful running and it's probably the secret sauce to successful you know uh athleticism in whatever sport you are pursuing yeah it's not it's such an unsexy answer (laughs) uh but it is so important and it 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 definitely is a, a uh it's very much an umbrella theme for strength and conditioning for any sport for life um, it's just being, you want to get good at anything, writing, playing chess, you know, anything it's, you got to do more of it. And, um, it's, I, I don't know, it's, it's, it, and for some reason people have a hard time, it's a hard time registering with people for some reason that, oh, weird. If I, if I continue doing something and I'm actually going to get good at it, really, that's how it works. Um, and it's like, yeah, it's that simple. Yeah. Simple ain't always that easy though. Yeah, true. I mean, you got to do the work. Don't get me wrong. You and I both know that. But um, but yeah, it's uh, I, I love. Yeah. 2017. Those are great themes to have. Now, what about like mistakes with a beginner in the weight room in terms of, you know, choosing the wrong exercises, choosing the wrong equipment? Are there other are other big mistakes that you see beginner uh, lifters make? Yeah, I that's a, that's a tough one. I mean, because I mean, I used to be like the the cranky you know, personal trainer coach is like, Oh, machines are stupid. You know, you need a barbell and, um, you know, whatever, whatever, honestly, whatever the person is going to do, um, and that they enjoy doing and it matches like what their goals are. Uh, you know, it goes back to one of Dan John's very, uh, famous quotes, the goal is to keep the goal, the goal. Um, you know, if your training and your nutrition doesn't match your goals for your performance, then, you know, they're, you're going to be spinning your wheels. So, um, you know, whether or not it's a wrong exercise or right exercise, you know, yeah, I could, I could probably list a a, a litany of exercises that, yeah, I I probably not, wouldn't be my first choice, you know, like leg extensions and leg press and leg curl. Um, but if we were going to be real, there are plenty of people in the history of, history that did those exercises and they got big they got better they got stronger they got faster um you know it's not that they don't work they still they 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 had to do the work so um i think if anything it's just a matter of um keeping the goal the goal and you know i i honestly if they just stuck with the basics and goblet squatted did some palaf presses like core work um They'd be, they'd be setting themselves up for success in the long run. Because anything, if anything, in the very beginning, and this is a lot of what my wife and I talk about when we speak together, is the goal is also to, to build competency with people. So with beginners, if they kind of gravitate towards more, more of the advanced stuff that they're, they're going to suck at, then they're, just gonna, they're not, they're not going to feel great. They're not going to get results. They're going to get 
they're going to get pretty frustrated. So, you know, if, if, if building competency out from the get go uh, with the simple stuff, I mean, that that's 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 where it's at right there. So, um, again, not a very sexy answer, unfortunately, but um, it's a, it's a, it can't be resonated enough. Yeah, well, I think the unsexy answers are very frequently the correct answers. And yeah. it, it does sound like, you know, what you're doing in the weight room, it's very similar to what you might be doing out on the road when you're running in that something is better than nothing. And if you're yeah. in the weight room using machines and you, maybe you're doing a lot of repetitions and your workout is really long and so it's not exactly the most effective workout for you as a runner, that's still better than nothing. Just like if you were only running 10 miles a week with no fast workout and you know you didn't have a lot of those little things in your training well well that's better than not running at all and i think yeah. you know I, I think a lot of people try to be perfect and have the perfect training program or you know the perfect lifting uh workout where you know if if you're just doing a, a little bit of something just when you're starting out that's so much better than not doing anything because you're worried about perfection Exactly. And it also brings up a good point. Um, and something that uh, strength coach Paul Carter talks about, he calls them 80% workouts. And those are the workouts that matter. And what those are, so like say 10% of the time, you're going to walk into the gym and you're going to feel like a rock star. Like you, the weights are going to feel light. You're going to have lots of energy. It's just like you, you crush your workout. 10% of the time, you're going to feel like garbage. And the weights feel like gravity is like three times as much as it normally is. Um, you're lethargic and it's just, you, you just can't wait to get the hell out of there. And then 80% of the time, it's just like, uh, eh, you're doing the work. Right. And, and those, those are the workouts that matter. Like those are the ones, if you're doing the work, you're building that wide base to get to a higher peak of performance and just accumulating volume. Oh no, that's appropriate. Um, that, that is going to lead to some good things happening. So, um, it's a lot of it because I mean, you're not going to feel like a rock star every workout. You're, you're going to feel like garbage in other workouts. So 80% of the time, yeah, you're just there, but you just, you're just doing the work and that, that's kind of the, and, and being, and again, that, that kind of goes into the, the vibe that we're talking about now is consistency, right? It's just being consistent, doing the work, like show up, um, that, that, that is so crucial. Yeah, I call this drama-free training, and it's you know when my when my runners, the ones that I work with one-on-one uh, -on -one virtually, they send me their training every week, so I can see you know how they're how they're faring with the program I've written for yep. them, and a lot of the times, all I hear is I just did what was on the plan and everything went well. I did you know the right mileage, the workouts at the correct paces, and I, I check everything, and. That's, you know, it's, it's drama free. There's no problems. Yep. There's, you, you didn't totally crush a workout, but you also didn't fail a workout. And that's the kind of training I love to see because when you stack weeks of consistent drama free training on top of each other, that's when the magic starts to happen. Yep. Yep. I couldn't agree more. All right, Tony, I was talking with my wife yesterday and she really wants to know more about lifting, you know, for women, for female All right. athletes. All right. Are there... Are there special considerations for women in the weight room? You know, are there, you know, what, what do you see when women go in the weight room to lift? Yep. Should they be doing anything differently than a man? No, because I think that's the problem is that uh, the industry tries to do a very good job of telling women that they should train differently than a man. And yeah, we could make the case that yes, hormones come into play and certain times of the month come into play and they do. Um, which will kind of play into things. But all in all, um, 
like especially when I was at Crusty Sports Performance and even with now, I don't treat my female clients any differently than my male clients. Like they're all doing deadlifts, they're all squatting, they're all pushing the sled, they're all throwing med balls, they're all doing kettlebell swings. Um, so, and I, I really like training females because um, they, they don't have as much of an ego as males. I don't know if you come across this as, as much as I do uh, in the endurance community, but like if I tell a female to take some weight off the bar, they're not going to they're not gonna take it as a stroke against their ego. Like, oh, no. Like with, with guys, you tell them to take weight off the bar. It's like, oh, man, like really? It's like, yeah, really. It looks like shit. Like take some weight off. <laughs> like, um, So with women, I think a lot of it too is a little, little bit of a, a, a psychological thing. Um, cause if you think about like, like take the chin up, for example, um, way back in elementary school and high school, I remember you remember taking those like fitness tests, those national fitness tests. Yeah. What and, was it? The presidential fitness test? Yeah, exactly. So, um, right from the get go, what, what are, what are girls programmed to think? Guys do chin ups, girls do the flex arm hang cause they can't do chin ups. I mean, yes they can, but they're kind of programmed to think, well, that's what guys do. And that, and these are what girls do. So then, fast forward a little bit more, and now look at um, pr- walk through any convenience store, or grocery store, walk through the magazine section. What do you see on the cover of every magazine? It's toned. It's it's lean. It's less. It's fat loss. Um, that's those are the words that are kind of tossed out to women to be less. Um, whereas guys, it's like bulk, meat, get you know beefy, uh, hypertrophy, muscle growth. And they're programmed to be more. Um, so I am not a fan of that. Like I, so when I start working with a female client, uh, and I, I don't get me wrong. Like I, I definitely respect their goals. So like a lot of times they're going to come in. I want to lose ten pounds, fifteen pounds. I want this. You know, it's fine. Like I, I definitely appreciate that. And I respect it. But the sooner I get them to be less concentrated on being less. And, 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 and focusing more on performance-based goals, like, hey, let's get you to do a chin-up, like an actual strict body weight chin-up, or let's get you to deadlift your body weight for five reps, or whatever. Um, it's really cool to see that switch turn, because then when, once they start seeing that you know they could do something now that they couldn't even, even think about doing three months ago, um, that to me is the game changer. Um, and if I can start in if I can, the sooner I can do that, um, I think that the happier I am as a coach and I, I just know that they're going to be way, way better off too, because then they're not going to be so, um, concerned with what the scale is telling them. Um, they're going to be more concerned with, you know, what their, what their, what their sheet is telling them when they're tracking their numbers as far as the weights they're, they're lifting and the, how many reps they're doing them for. Um, no, so to me, it's a, a lot of the dichotomy in the industry is it's a little is a lot of it psychological. Like certainly there's 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 definitely some psychology involved, and it's just like women are programmed to think less is better, um, and I that's just such a um, unfortunate uh, wave of events that that's that's what they're programmed to think. Cause, and I I tend to go the exact opposite and just say no, let's uh let's focus on being more. You know what, whatever that ends up being to you. Like I don't, I don't put words in their mouth, but um, that to me, that's kind of like my general overarching approach to to training a lot of my female clients. Well, I think it's a great one, and you just wrote a really great blog post about this topic that I think yes, everyone yes. should go read. Uh, I'll give you a great plug here: TonyGentleCore.com. You know, it's 
my wish for female fitness, let's talk about less. And you say, you know, strive to be more instead of wanting to be less. And yes. there's a gif of Brad Pitt dancing, which if that doesn't yeah, sell you on this, then I don't know what will. <laughs> so yeah, that, 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 that never hurts, right? Like just put a little Brad Pitt in your article and you're fine. Yeah, it's perfect. Uh, um, yeah, yeah, I think I, a lot I, of women, oh, yeah, sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. I, I mean, I just think it, it's, um, it's such a, it is a passionate topic of mine. And I do talk about it often when I travel for speaking engagements, but there, I really feel there's no, there's zero difference with how I would train female and male clients. And that, that's part of the culture. I think like those gyms and those studios that do very well, um, and breed a, a very positive culture, that's kind of how their approach is. Like, you know, I hate it when I, when I travel around the country and I walk into some random like commercial gym and there's a women's only section like that to me is, uh, is, is very, very unfortunate. Like we're not, this isn't 1984. Um, you know, it's like that, it's just, that's, that's what's, that's the problem in the industry is that right there. Um, that these are the, these are the girl machines and the guys are all over here. And then, you know, and honestly, like the, the most, uh, um, egregious, uh, example of this is when I had a, a female client who was very much in the strength training and she was an older coach herself and she wanted to help out at a local high school and she approached the athletic director who was another female who was also a coach of I think two female varsity teams and my client was like hey I'd love to uh, help out in the summer and help out in the weight room and, and help out with some of the female athletes and the athletic director, again, who was a female and who was also a coach, was like, "Well, you know, you have good luck with that because there's not there's not any uh, uh, female friendly machines in the in the weight room. They don't like to use those." Oh, and what she, what she was referring to was um, there weren't enough ellipticals and treadmills. Like this is a beautiful high school. Like they had like twelve power racks. It was it was unbelievable. Um, and she didn't deem those female friendly, which if, if your athletic director and your coach is giving you that message, what do you think is going to happen as they grow? Of course, they're not going to, of course, they're going to fall in, they're going to fall prey to, you know, oxygen magazine telling them that lifting anything over five pounds is, is, is wrong and that they should be lean and sexy and toned. And of course, they're going to fall prey to that, which that, it, that it drives me bonkers. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm trying the best I can to, to fight that message. Yeah. Do you think that one of the reasons why more women aren't, you know, in the weight room is because they're afraid of bulking up and yes. gaining all this muscle mass? Yes. Um, and that, 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 but honestly though, Jason, that, that is getting better. And I do have to give credit to CrossFit. Um, like that, again, that culture breeds a very positive, uh, culture. I mean, certainly we can make an argument about, the psychology of being that obsessed with paleo and you know all that, but that's a whole other argument. Um, but certainly, yeah, I think there that that myth definitely still uh, is out there. Like you know, lifting just looking at weight weight is going to turn you into he man. Um, and yeah, you know, we can't. Yes, we can go into the science and the research and, 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 and talk about testosterone levels and hormone levels and how women have 10 times less and blah, 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 blah. And that they don't hear that. You know? So, um, you know, if anything, it's not about winning a conversation with female athletes and female clients. It's just, you know, really what I end up doing. I mean, I'm lucky in that the bulk of the people that end up coming to me in the first place already know what they're getting themselves into because they read my website and they're familiar with my work. So I don't really have to do a lot of deprogramming. 
Um, but on the off chance that I do, what I usually end up doing is I, I definitely try to educate them and just try to break it down to as simple terms as possible and, just, and, yeah, and yeah, break it down to where, yeah, testosterone, blah, blah, blah. But I just say, listen, give me, give me 60 days and just do what I tell you to do. And then we'll reevaluate after 60 days because what you're doing isn't working. If it were, you wouldn't be here. And so let's try something different. Just do what I tell you to do. Show up. Be consistent. And after 60 days, we will reassess the situation. And if I put it in terms like that, they, they, most people can, can dedicate themselves to 60 days. They're like, okay, I'll do it. Um, and then it's just, you know, while I'm training them, it's really me building, building their competency, showing them success, like showing them stuff that they can do and they're, they're, that they're good at. Like I'm not going to... I'm not going to put a barbell on a, on someone's back on day one and have them back squat. And this is male or female. So, you know, I, I so a lot of it's on me as a coach to breed success and, and to show them that they can do stuff. And then we, we just build off of that. And then again, eventually that switch is going to turn. And then, and then it's, then it's, then it's go time. And that's, that's, that's when the fun begins. Yeah. And I think there's, you know, there's certainly the, the science side of things, like you mentioned with, you know, hormonal levels and sure. women simply don't have the testosterone and growth hormone and things like that to make gaining a lot of muscle mass easy. But then the other side of that argument too, and this is true for not just women, but men is that look as runners, it's really hard for us to put on a, a decent amount of weight anyway, because yeah. we're doing so much aerobic <laughs> and anaerobic running in our, exactly. in our training. Yep. So yeah, we're never so going to be true. able to have the energy available to, you know, put on 10, 20 pounds of muscle if we're running 40 miles a week with a long run and a faster workout. Like your exactly. body is way too busy recovering from that work to make a bunch of new muscle. Yeah, I mean, that, that's beautiful. And that that's that's what I mean about watering stuff down. Like if you put it in ways like that, it's like you, you, you see like the light bulb turn on in people's eyes. It's like, oh, yeah, OK, that makes sense. And it's like, okay, let's go, let's get to work. Yeah. They, you, you know, you might gain a muscle or two or a, a pound well, or two rather. Do. Yeah, they should. I mean, certainly there, there, there's going to be some addition there. Like there's, that's going to happen, but they're not going to all of a sudden be like stage ready in two months. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's just not going to happen. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> now, earlier we kind of talked a little bit about the little things and, you know, for runners, you know, I mentioned doing, um, a dynamic warm up before you go running and strength yeah. training and strides and drills and things like that. Um, uh, when it comes to lifting, even if that's not your primary sport, you know, we're talking to runners here, what are some of the little things that are going to improve performance in the weight room? Um, well, I think one of the littlest things that isn't so little is just, uh, um, like, uh, breathing patterns and then like, getting people into better positions uh, so a lot of what PRI talks about, Postural Restoration Institute, um, is you know this has been a thing that's like gotten very popular within the last five years in the strength conditioning world. But this stuff has been around for like twenty. Um, but we talk about um, uh, just getting the we what we call a scissor position is like basically your pelvis is, is an anterior pelvic tilt and pointing one way, uh, rib cage is pointing up in another way, and that that's not a very aligned position so we might do these breathing drills and focusing on exhaling getting all of our out turning the abs on and really just getting the diaphragm and the pelvic floor to be in to be stacked on top of one another and just encouraging a little bit better of a position and then 
and we call that the canister position. So thinking about you know, another way to think about it is if your pelvis is one ring and your ribs are all these other rings, you want the rings to be stacked. So that's what I mean about positioning and, and um, that canister position. And then we take that and then we go lift heavy things. Um, and then that, that's just going to be a, a more conducive um, uh, thing to happen, you know, as far as improving performance. Because I've gotten out of the the whole arching your back really hard when you're squatting and deadlifting. I mean, that that was so like 2002, um, and now it's just like we want to keep people healthy long term as far as their back health, and just and it's getting them in that, like I said, that canister position. Um, and it sounds very trivial. Um, when we say breathing patterns and um, sometimes it gets some eye rolls. But if you just take the couple minutes before a training session to do like two or three of these positional breathing drills, um, it really can make a, 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 a stark improvement on just how people feel um, and then just getting them in a better position to perform well in the weight room. So that that to me is the biggest quote-unquote little thing that that I think a lot of uh, lifters would would um, bode well in adopting. Now, if we search your website for canister position, are we going to find uh, maybe a tutorial? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I think I, I've written several articles where basically it's like what what like uh, even if you like did a search for like breathing drills, um, you know, you would you would find some stuff on there. Um, but even if people just visited. Uh, um, PRI's website, or read some of Mike Robertson's stuff, or even Eric Eric Cressy. Um, you know, we've all we've all written on it, and because because we've implemented um, a lot of this stuff with our athletes and general population. So, um, and it doesn't it, it it's like it's basically part of the warm up. To be honest, now at the, at this stage, it's you know we do we spend two or three minutes doing these breathing drills. And then another advantage of these breathing drills too is it, it helps get it helps get people in a more uh, parasympathetic state. So we tend to be very sympathetic, like on alert and very like ah, like very stressed and type A, um, just because that's the way society is nowadays. So another advantage of these breathing drills is it just get people to chill out, uh, get them in a little bit more parasympathetic activity. Um, so there, there's advantages to doing it before a workout from that standpoint and from a positioning standpoint. But at the end of a workout, when, when we just, you know, put them through a, a pretty thorough workout, you know, we can, we can use the breathing drills to bring them back down to homeostasis um, and just in a, is nudge them in a little bit more parasympathetic activity and just get them to chill out a little bit. That, there, there's an advantage there, too. That's really interesting. This is so outside of what runners typically think about. Uh, so it's yeah. really interesting to hear. Yeah, it's, I mean, we, and like it's, it's probably been within the last five or six years that it's gained traction in the strength and conditioning world. But like I said, this stuff has been around for, for decades. Um, but, you know, and there are, you know, unfortunately, there, there, there are people in, in, uh, in my uh, field in the strength and conditioning that take it a little bit too far where it's like they're spending a half hour breathing into balloons and doing all these weird positioning drills. And it's like, no, we we need to go train and lift weights here. Like let's let's not get carried away. Um, but uh, but certainly there there is a lot of validity and efficacy with um, implementing some of these drills. And honestly, like if anyone like the most basic drill, um, if you, I'm sure you've probably done it if not heard of it, um, is uh, alligator breathing or crocodile breathing that Greg Cook has talked about in the past with the functional movement screen. You know, basically you just lie in your stomach. 
um, in the prone position on the floor. Um, rest your forehead on your forearms, and you're just laying there. And then you just focus on getting 3D expansion of your ribcage. So you're breathing, you're breathing out. You're getting, you're trying to get air in your whole um, thorax. So you're trying to just get like the to move around 360 degrees. And um, you know that that's really the 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 go-to like introductory uh, breathing pattern that I use with pretty much everyone. And a lot of times it's, it's really cool because you you can have someone do that, um, and you'll see improvements in range of motion with like bringing their arms overhead, you'll see improvements in their hip range of motion um, just because they're in a better position and, and uh, they're not in such a high state of alertness that they just, they've just chilled out a little bit and they've told the nervous system, like, hey, you can pipe it down a little bit. Let's pump the brakes. Um, and so there's there's a lot of advantages with that. Now, when, you're ta- when you talk about positions and, yeah. you know, making sure that, you know, your ribs are, you know, are kind of stacked on top of each other, uh, which is I think is a good cue, is this another way of thinking about postural stability when you're lifting yeah sure i think that's exactly what it is i mean and there and don't get me wrong like there's no that's another thing that i that i kind of written on in the past too is there's like asymmetry is fine like we're not you know getting perfect posture or perfect symmetry you know you're kind of chasing your tail um and never going to catch it if that's what you're after um and i'm certainly not one of those those coaches that looks at someone's posture, like forward head posture or overly rounded shoulders and thinks like, Oh my God, we have to fix that or else you're going to be in pain. Um, cause there are plenty of people walking around the world who are in that position and are completely fine. Um, but when we're talking about performance, um, and, 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 and those factors and like people wanting to be more aesthetically pleasing and know as far as like their posture, then yeah, then we can address that stuff. But, but yeah, when I, when I talk about, um, you know, breathing patterns and like get that rib flare down. Uh, it, it's more or less talking about just getting them, nudging them in a little bit more of a ideal posture, um, and then hopefully taking that into the weight room and um, just being in better positions to lift heavy things. Yeah, I think that's really important because a lot of runners, you know, when we start running, one of the things that runners never learn much about when they start is proper running form, and yeah. I, I think it's definitely true that running is a skill or i should rephrase running well is a skill you know everyone can go run but you know running with proper form is is hard to do and it takes some practice and it takes some learning uh but even if you do start running with some pretty bad running form you're not going to get hurt right away but if you're in the weight room and you go try to lift something heavy with bad form if you don't have that postural stability if you don't get in the right positions then the risk of injury in the weight room i think is a lot higher right off the bat you know you can you can hurt yourself on a deadlift pretty quickly if your form is really bad of course like you're 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 going to be playing with fire i mean again there there are countless people out there that train with bad form and have never been hurt but that doesn't mean that uh it gives everyone else a green light to do so they might just be the outlier but yeah I, i couldn't i couldn't agree more yeah, outliers do not prove the rule, that's for sure. <laughs> Definitely. All right, as we wrap up, Tony, uh, I want to thank you for lending us your time and expertise. I'm you know, very confident as a running coach that strength running or strength training, you know where my head's at here, <laughs> is, strength. you know. That could be a new drill, like strength running. We can make it happen. Yeah, sounds good to me. <laughs> um, you know, I really do think that strength training is the most beneficial thing runners can do outside of running to become a better runner. 
Uh, and so thanks for helping us understand it a little bit more. And you really cleared up a lot of misconceptions today. So I'm really appreciative of that. I appreciate it. Hopefully, hopefully it helped convince a few uh, listeners to give it a go. Like I think, I think they'd be surprised in the results. Yeah. And hopefully anyone listening to this podcast knows how bullish I am on strength work. So they've at least started some, some body weight routines and can take that next to the next level soon. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Tony, one more question. Where can we learn more about you and follow some of your work? Yeah. Home base is my website. So it's my name, TonyGemacore.com. And that's where all my social media is and where all my articles are. Um, yeah, any and all the podcasts I've done, like they're that that's home base. So anything, you know, all the pictures of my cat, uh, anything, anything related to my life is pretty much on the website. All right, so cat that, pictures, that, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and I will say too that uh, your your Twitter feed, I think, is a goldmine of not just strength training resources, but some really great insights on uh, training and you do keep things light and it's pretty funny oh, yeah. sometimes. So. Yeah. I have to, yeah, I don't want people to think that it's like, all I do is, is, you know, read, breathe and eat strength and conditioning. Like I definitely love my movies, love my TV shows. Um, so yeah, I, it's definitely a, a hodgepodge of, you know, sharing other people's information as well as myself, but yeah, keeping things light too. Now I have to ask, what, what TV shows you're watching right now? We're totally off base, but that's fine. Well, hey, no, no I'm, I, I can talk about this stuff all, all day. Um, right now, I, you know, we're, we're waiting for House of Cards to start. So that's oh, gonna I am be, too, big time. So that's, that's going to be taking over our lives pretty soon. Um, um, I'm a big fan of Veep, so that season just started. Um, you know, I am obsessed. It's not a Netflix show, but it's on Netflix. I, I don't. I forget what network it's on. I'm obsessed with the show Forensic Files. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's like half hour shows, and they go through like real life cases, and they talk about the forensics of how like messed up people are, and what they think they can get away with, and um, you know, it's weird. It's like my wife is is kind of concerned because I've there's eight. I think there's eight seasons, and there are forty episodes per season. Uh, I'm on season seven, so that just gives you an idea of how many episodes I've watched. You're uh, like a forensic expert at this oh, point. Oh, yeah. I, I'm going to be able to get away. Well, watch. It'll be like t- five years from now, you're going to see me like Tony Jonacore. Like, you know, I was, no, I'm, something weird is going to happen. I'm going to try to get No, I, I shouldn't talk like that. But <laughs> Yeah, we uh, heard it here first on the Strength uh, Running Podcast. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, I think what I'm trying to think, we, you know, it's like, my wife was on maternity leave for the past three months, so we 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 crushed a lot of the um, uh, Netflix shows that are that are already passed. That's why we're just waiting for House of Cards. But um, yeah, I'm trying to. We're trying to make our way through. Uh, what's that HBO show we're getting through? Um, I want. I'm I'm curious about starting the Leftovers. I will say that. So okay. I, I might I might jump into that soon. Yeah, I'm watching. Um, I think I have the final episode left, but it's the night of which I think is an oh, yeah. HBO show, which is yeah. really yep. great. I'd definitely yep. recommend it. Yep. I, we watched that. You know, I, actually, speaking of which, like those short series, I'm making my way through uh, Big Little Lies, which is also on HBO. Um, another one of those like six or eight episode like mini movies um, or extended movies, but it's like a, a it's just like a it's it, its own show. Like they're not going to repeat it. It's just like here it is. Um, yeah. But yeah, that was very good. Night Up was awesome. Yeah, and I, I've also watched Pretty Little Liars, and I thought that was a really great series too. So yeah, don't, don't look, look at this. We have running advice, strength training advice, and TV show recommendations. Yes, so I think you're I think you're onto something. 
<laughs> yeah. All right, Tony. Well, thanks so much for uh, for being on the show and uh, lending us some of your expertise. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thank you very much, Jason. And there we go. What a great discussion. I had a blast speaking with Tony about lifting for runners and how we can all be more strategic in the weight room. And this is a topic that I admittedly haven't spent as much time on as I would like. So that's going to change. In the coming months, uh, please expect more strength and conditioning coaches on the podcast, more detailed blog posts on strength running, and guidance on how to make every minute in the weight room count. And finally, before you take off today, if you're not doing much strength training right now, then I do want you to download a free workout that's going to help you improve your overall athleticism and reduce your risk of injury. Sign up at strengthrunning.com prevention, and I'll send it to you in about three days. The first couple of days include uh, case studies, a free ebook, mistakes to avoid, and some other really great stuff to help your running. Thanks again for listening to the Strength Running Podcast. Until next time.